and welcome back to Salus University's Health Science Starts Here. Last episode, we talked to Rose and Irma, who have since started their semester at Rutgers. So if you'd like to follow their adventures for the next year and add another cute puppy to your endless scroll, go follow them on Instagram at incredible underscore Irma. And while you're at it, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat at Salus University, so you're always up to date with what's going on in our community. This week, we sat down with Dr. Rebecca Blaha from the Pennsylvania Ear Institute so she could educate us on one of the most common health conditions in the country, tinnitus. So if you notice that you hear a ringing, buzzing, hissing, music, or even voices when nobody's saying anything, you probably aren't crazy, but you might want to listen a little closer to find out what you can do about it. My name is Rebecca Blaha, and I'm a doctor of audiology at the Pennsylvania Ear Institute. I am the lead audiologist for the clinic. The Pennsylvania Ear Institute is our student training clinic on campus at Salus University. I also have teaching responsibilities. I am the lab instructor for the hearing technology sequence of courses, and I also co-teach the tinnitus and hyperacusis management course with Dr. Martin Pankowski. Great. And that brings us to today's topic, which is tinnitus. Uh, We recently celebrated Tinnitus Week here at Salus. Um, So we just want to learn a little bit more about it. And first of all, how do you pronounce it correctly? To be correct, it's tinnitus. Tinnitus. And so a lot of people, you'll hear them say tinnitus. Right. But that would indicate that a different process is taking place in the body. Right now, the theory is that it is an increase in spontaneous neural activity. So hearing loss develops because 90% of people that have tinnitus will also be able to diagnose with a hearing loss. So if they're having a test, that we should see some changes to their hearing sensitivity. So what the science currently believes is that when hearing loss sets in, there are less sensory receptors that are sending signals up to the brain. And so the brain receives less input, and so it increases spontaneous activity within the neural circuits that are not responding. And so it's actually your brain reacting to getting less sensory stimulation. And so the brain produces the sound to basically even the scales because it wants to maintain a certain level of balance. Um, Our hearing on a basic level responds to vibration, so it's constantly in motion. So even when you're sleeping and you're not consciously listening, there is still activity that would alert you in case something um, dangerous would happen, so you would awaken. Um, So that neural activity is on a constant level, so the brain expects a certain level of you know, information. So if that goes down, it's trying to recreate it in some way. And so that level of activity is spontaneous change in that system. But if we said it was a tinnitus, an itis in a medical terminology means that you have inflammation within your body. So like an arthritis or tendonitis, something that would cause your body to produce maybe swelling, heat, a pain sensation, which isn't what's happening within the auditory system. So um, what can cause it? Generally? Usually, most of the time, it will be a loud noise exposure. So you've been you know, to a concert without hearing protection. You may have loud uh, hobbies, like you like hunting, woodworking, motocross, things like that. 
most people will tolerate loud sounds if they find it enjoyable. And so most people are not thinking about hearing protection in those situations. Um, there are new studies that are looking at how um, hearing loss can be related to diabetes and heart disease. So those, um, if you develop hearing loss, you may have a predisposition to have tinnitus. We don't see that every patient with a hearing loss will report that they have the sensation. Um, science really hasn't figured out what that light switch moment is that will trigger some people to perceive that neural activity because some people can have profound loss and still report hearing a tinnitus even though they have no outside sensation of sound. But then there are some people that we would say are clinically normal when they're tested so we don't see a hearing loss but they can still report tinnitus. So it doesn't always follow a very you know typical pattern when right. we're testing. So Every patient kind of comes it's very to you individual, with yeah. yeah, with different you know perceptions. It doesn't right. have to be ringing. It could always be another sound like humming, rushing, chirping. Some people even report hearing music or voices. Um, that one usually throws people off because you know if somebody reports that they hear someone talking and it's not present, they usually think uh, mental illness. Um, but as long as the voice that you hear does not interact with you. So maybe it's just a repetitive phrase or something that you hear. Um, usually if you hear music, it's a familiar song from when you were very young. You hear like a snippet over and over. As long as it's not telling you to do something, <laughs> yeah. then you're probably just fine. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, wow. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Um, I just had a question about frequencies. I mm -hmm. I went to school for audio engineering, mm -hmm. so... Somewhat similar, very far off. But um, do you notice if tinnitus occurs more in like lower frequencies or higher frequencies? Usually higher frequencies. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility to have a low frequency tinnitus. Some people that report low frequency tinnitus will usually have other conditions at work. Um, so it's something medically diagnosable, um, Meniere's disease usually causes a low frequency and that causes you to lose your hearing, have very loud tinnitus, um, dizziness and imbalance and other things going on. But high frequencies, those cells within the inner ear are more easily damaged. Um, so they tend to wear out the fastest. So if we're going to develop hearing loss over time, you usually see it happening in high frequencies and gradually working down. So we know there isn't a cure for tinnitus, but mm -hmm. there are ways to manage it and mm -hmm. kind of live with it um, to provide some mm -hmm. relief. And what are mm -hmm. some of those ways? Usually we're trying to relieve the um, emotional side of the tinnitus. Right now, science hasn't gotten to a cure, so we can't advocate for a pill or some type of medical procedure, surgeries, things like that. Um, that are universally effective uh, because we're trying to change neural activity. There are some experiments going on now looking at how do we stimulate the brain in a way that would cause it to reduce its activity or make it go away completely, but there hasn't been anything studied that is able to be replicated well and show universal benefit. So right now, the majority of people suffer because of the anxiety it produces, because it's not something they can control. Other people often don't understand why it is so debilitating, so they feel isolated and depressed. Um, and they've been to multiple specialists typically before they find someone who understands tinnitus, so they've usually been told there's nothing that can be done, and you just have to learn to, to live with it. And so it can be a very... Um, 
you know, sad prospect that it would never get better. And so we focus a lot on counseling and how to use low-level background noise to reduce the stress and anxiety it causes. Right. I was reading, um, I think, tinnitus occurs more when it's quieter. That's right? when you're going to notice it. Right. It's typically so. constant. So it's right. always going on. It's just that the room has to be quiet enough for you to actually hear it. But hearing your tinnitus is a good thing because it actually needs to happen in order for the brain to begin the process of recognizing that it's not threatening. So a lot of people, they just want to cover it up, um, but we don't want to not experience it because we need to go through the process of habituation, which is the fancy term of learning to not prioritize that. So habituation is where your brain can monitor something, but then because it's constant and non-threatening, it will lose interest, basically. So when you're getting dressed in the morning and you change your clothes, your body will sense on the skin that the pressure is different because it fits differently. It has a different temperature. But as soon as it becomes constant, it doesn't harm you, your brain will stop thinking about it. But your sensory receptors are still active. It would, If you turned your attention back, you'd notice that your shirt is still there. It's just that because it doesn't have any effect on what you're trying to do, you can divert your attention away from it. So we have to listen to the tinnitus so that the brain gets the same sensation that, yes, it's constant, it's not threatening, and it doesn't involve, it shouldn't involve my attention. And so we have to go through that process, which can be the hardest because patients find their tinnitus to be exceedingly annoying. Their perception of it is very, very loud. Even if we were to measure it, it Usually on a test, your tinnitus is just above your hearing threshold for the same tone that you perceive. So it's not super loud. It's just that you fixate on it and it becomes louder than it actually is. Um, so we do need to go through the mental process of kind of deprogramming, right. basically. Um, I had a friend who experienced tinnitus and would use like a, a ticking clock mm -hmm. to sleep yes. so that it would mm -hmm. help her. And I know like obviously... It would affect your sleep if you mm -hmm. didn't have some sort of method mm -hmm. to yeah. relieve that, and that can lead to mental health and yeah. Because if like you're that. not sleeping well, you're right. going to be more irritable, and you're not going to be able to deal with the stress that it causes as efficiently. Um, so we do use sound therapy. Typically, we don't use it by itself. We would try to couple it with the counseling aspect, so that we can develop the right mindset. Um, we do want to promote relaxation. So a lot of times, the therapy that you use for sound therapy is whatever you want as long as it helps you relax so some people like to listen to um like a white noise they might put a fan on to fall asleep or they have a noise generator um some people one of my patients says that he turns on a movie that he's seen you know 20 times so he doesn't yeah. have to pay attention it's just background noise um so there's one researcher um, that does progressive tinnitus management, which is a strategy that's employed by the Veterans Administration. It's a protocol they follow. Um, and in his um, protocol, any sound is fine, as long as it doesn't draw your attention so that you're not actively sitting and listening. Um, so that it's background sound, something you can tune out, or maybe something that is a little interesting, like music, or um, something soothing, like uh, nature sounds. Right. So as long as it's something there that helps you relax. That sounds pretty easy mm -hmm. once you get there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I guess, uh, what are ways that people can prevent 
getting tinnitus or developing tinnitus. Yeah, you need to be very careful about your noise exposure. So if you're in a loud environment or you're concerned uh, about the exposure, having hearing protection is essential. Um, there are some apps now that are free for most smartphones that are fairly accurate as sound level meters. Um, Right now, government guidelines for like OSHA and NIOSH, which would be your occupational health and safety, um, they're going to start monitoring for hearing loss if the decibel level is 85 or higher. Okay. So 85 decibels, uh, based on those guidelines, though, you could expose yourself to eight hours of that sound and before it would damage the majority of hearing. Um, if you then take 85, so now we're going to go up by 5 decibels for OSHA standards. If you go up by 5, then they want you to cut your exposure in half. And so now you'd only be exposed for 4 hours at a safe um, dosage, as they would call it. Um, so in those ratings, you would just have to know, what am I listening to and how long will I be listening? So if you are, you know, 85 decibels, you could be okay for 8 hours. But if you're going to go to a concert... Um, pull out your sound level meter and measure what it is and knowing that for every 5 dB increase you want to cut your time in half. So 90 would be 4 hours, 95 would be 2 hours, 100 would only be an hour. So it can you know, add up fairly quickly with the dosing of sound. Um, and then if you wear hearing protection, we have to be sure that you actually can insert it properly. A lot of people, they'll try earplugs, but then they'll fall out or they'll say they're uncomfortable and it's because they're not pushing them in far enough. Um, the little yellow foam that costs about 50 cents, they're yeah. still very, very good. They are primarily used for more like industrial sounds. So if like you were construction workers, yeah, stuff like that, um, they're going to block mostly high frequencies. But certainly if you're into music, there are musician plugs that right. are filtered so that it sounds like you took the radio and just turned it down. Right. It's not so I actually mm -hmm. bought some of my own. I'm not yeah. sure like mm -hmm. how good quality they are because I got them on Amazon. Okay. But um, I mean, they look like yeah, some mean, that we sell downstairs. I'm not sure. Actually, yes, these look like Edematic. And they're right. very good. They're pretty well known in this realm. Um, yes, that's exactly what you have. That's be highly Great, recommended. Thank you. They're going to attenuate um, about 20 decibels, which is pretty significant. Um, and as long as you sense that the seal is maintained, because sometimes jaw movement and things, yeah. you'll feel them kind of slide out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're great. Um, if yeah. you had non-customs like those, um, the Universal Fits, we can do custom molds, and so right. you can always get some that are personalized to you. So we would take an impression of your ear, and they would be an exact match. They would only fit in one way, and they're pretty snug. Yeah. And they actually come with different levels of um, reduction. So if you have a particular activity that you're doing, we don't necessarily, like if you're monitoring for noise exposure and you know that 85 is a safe level, you're not trying to reduce everything to 85. You're just trying to reduce it so that you can experience the sound for a safe time frame. So those um, you could use in a number of situations. It's just you, knowing that they only attenuate by 20 decibels. And doing the proper math. Do the math. Right. And then you can say, okay, I can listen to the sound for so many minutes, hours, whatever. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, so they are variable because, of course, if you're protecting your hearing and you work in, you know, a situation where safety is important, right. we don't want to take away your awareness. Right. Um, I think that kind of touched on everything. It did, um, yeah. Tinnitus. Yeah, I mean, it's very fascinating. It, it is. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like a lot of people, I was reading some mm-hmm. stats, but like 15% of the general public, which yeah. is, mm-hmm. and I, that's reported, I assume. Exactly. Because I feel like a well, lot of people that I know um, kind of casually say they probably have tinnitus, mm-hmm. but have never been tested. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, what is the test for tinnitus, actually? It's a hearing test, basically. So we just need to see if there's been any change to your sensitivity. And so a lot of people um, I see on the younger spectrum, you might have what's considered normal hearing thresholds in the speech range. Because typically people coming in are reporting some communication deficit. So first place we check is how well do you hear vowels, consonants, things like that. If those are normal, then there are ultra high frequencies because human hearing goes out to 20,000 hertz. So you may have a hearing loss developing in those ultra high frequencies that is there but has not affected your communication. So we would adjust our test procedure to look at those areas um, to see where it might be um, starting. Do you find that a lot of people come to PEI with tinnitus already? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a common symptom. Um, It used to be reported that it was the primary symptom that gets people in the door before they acknowledge a hearing loss. Because a lot of people will take between 7 to 10 years to admit that they have hearing problems. So another symptom is usually what gets them in. Wow. Yeah, Um. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tinnitus is one of those things. Um, It's primarily managing how it affects you in a more of a mental health approach. And so a lot of times people want to come in and they say, okay, can I take like a supplement or something like that? It does take work to get your tinnitus to be managed effectively. And most of it is about reducing stress, adopting a healthy lifestyle. So exercise, eating better, quitting smoking. So pretty much anything that's going to help you feel better in general will also improve your tinnitus because your outlook will improve, your health will be improved, and everything kind of falls into place. So it's not, it's one of those things where it's like losing weight, where the doctor says, oh, this will make you so much better, but you got to work at it. (laughs) Right. It's not, it's not going to be fast. Exactly. Thank you for listening. My name is Alyssa Nguyen, and this is Health Science Starts Here. Check back every other week for new episodes and listen everywhere podcasts are available. To learn more about any of the topics we talked about today, visit salis.edu slash podcast.